0: I'm your recovery coach, and I am here to empower, inspire, and motivate you to finding a better life. I'm here sharing my passion for recovery in hopes that it'll help you realize that you're not alone on this path and that there is hope and there is life after recovery. Hi, friends. The following is a recording I made in the car, so there are going to be extra sounds. Please bear with me, I'm still figuring this out. Hey, everyone. I went to see the movie The Long Farewell last weekend. And if you haven't seen it, you know, I recommend it. It's, it's not glib, it's not a comedy, it, it'll make you think. And my friend that I went with afterwards said at the end of it, you know, I think I'm going to be thinking about this movie for a while. And the reason I bring it up is I've been thinking a lot about my father. Uh, especially today. He died in 1990, six months before I got married, and so he has been out of my life for longer than he was in it. He died of pancreatic cancer, which came from alcoholism. And it it was awful, and it was complicated because I had spent a good part of my life trying to win his approval, and then pretending I didn't care about it, and as an adult, as a child of an alcoholic, and then as an adult child of an alcoholic, um, if you've experienced that, you know that that kind of love is complicated. And it doesn't mean that it's not love, and as much as, you know, as I tried to pretend that I didn't care about things. The older I get I, I come to realize that I really really do care. And I'm actually he died when he was 48. I'm 55 so I'm older than my father. never got to be. I look at pictures of him and he is younger than I am. And my brother also you know died when he was 48. My father's father, died in his late 40s, I think he might have been 49. And and the reason I'm bringing all of this up, you know, some of you might be able to relate to having an alcoholic parent or having a parent whose love you couldn't quite understand or didn't quite feel you deserved or you received. And because of that, you know, began to feel different ways about yourself. And one of the ways that I did feel about myself was that, you know, I needed to change. I needed to mold myself to other people's expectations to be loved, to be liked. And I, you know, I will still do that. I have to catch myself where when somebody's talking, instead of right away thinking about what I actually think about it, my first inclination can often be, what would they like me to say? Or what should I say to make myself sound intelligent or clever or funny? But it was all about how I would appear to the other person and not how I actually am as myself. And, you know, unprogramming that from my thinking is, is a work in progress. Some days not a problem. Other days I think, oh gosh, I'm back to doing this again. The other reason I bring it up, is I know in my darkest days, about a month, a couple of months before, I actually realized that I had to stop drinking, which was not the same time that I stopped drinking. But I felt very, very, very low and thought my life, you know, the world would be better off without me and people's lives would be easier without me. And if you've been in that place, you know what a small dark place that 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 is. And if you've lost people, you know what a hole they leave in your life. So when I thought that, I honestly did think that everybody's life would be easier without me in it. And I've lost my father. I've lost my brother. I've lost good friends, young people. My, my son is an addict and we have been to more funerals for young people who have died of accidental overdoses. And each one of them has left a hole in my life. I know my brother, before he died, um, very likely felt that he was doing the world a favor by not being in it anymore. But there's not a day that I don't think about him. There's not a day that I don't think about my father. And I say this not for you to feel sorry for me or anything like that. But, you know, if you are in a dark place or you know someone that is, to realize that you are loved and you would be missed. And if you have children, if you have friends, even if you know people, know that your life has value, profound value, and a world without you would break people's hearts. You know, I think what we what we can do is when we get caught in that loop, you know, that sort of, I the hamster wheel section, we're all, I call it the hamster wheel section in my brain, where the thoughts just keep spinning on themselves and they just get darker and bleaker and more self-centered because it is very ego-based thinking. But when I get there, it's really hard to see what's going on in the rest of the world. And I really can't see what's, you know, what was going on with other people. So this is to remind you that if you're in that space that you do matter and that right now being in, in a dark space, isn't something that's permanent, isn't something that will last forever, even though it feels like it will. And I don't, I don't know why, but we are wired. Our brain is wired through evolution to hold on to negative images more than positive ones. So when we have something really great happening, if if, say we're standing on a beach looking over the ocean at sunset, there's part of us that says soak this up, enjoy it. This moment won't last forever. You know, when these great joyous or profoundly emotional moments in our life occur, there is part of our brain that says, enjoy it. This, this won't last forever. This too will pass. But when we're having the converse, when we're having just an awful, awful time, and we're sad, we're brokenhearted, we just don't even want to lift our head up. We don't have that same inner knowledge that don't worry, this too will pass because it does and it will. But for whatever reason, our brains don't come up with that all on their own. And we have to remind ourselves. And when you're feeling down and when you're feeling sorry for yourself, when you're feeling like there is, there is no hope, that you are powerless, that you're a victim, that you have no control then it's very hard to bring up those memories to, to bring up that thought that this too will pass. And the only way you develop a, a skill or it's just like developing a muscle is, is you practice it and you don't start, you know, if you decided to go in and start lifting weights tomorrow, you wouldn't start doing bicep curls with 50 pound weights. You might start with three pound weights. So in the same way, changing the way you think and changing the way your brain works, You don't just decide, well, I'm just going to think this way. Now you come at it slowly. Sometimes it might take you a couple of days to remember that. Oh yeah, I'm caught in that, in that self-defeating thought pattern again, time to step out of it. And then the next time, you know, maybe it takes you a couple of hours, but changing your thinking is a bit like turning a battleship. It'll have a profound effect but it's not quick and it's not easy. Absolutely worth doing. So in The Long Farewell. In The Long Farewell, the main character is a Chinese woman living in America. And I'm not gonna give away anything here. The family thinks that her grandmother is dying. And the story is about them going back for a pretend wedding. So that they can all say goodbye to their grandmother, but they're not going to tell their grandmother that she's dying. And it's how they all process this anticipatory grief, and you know how much they realize they love this woman in, in different and complicated and complex and very human ways. And, and that's you know that's what that's what love is. It's complex. It's messy. It's human. It's it's not perfect, and it often isn't portrayed well in movies. I like the way they did it in this movie. I thought it was very human, that it was very complex. And it was, because of that, very beautiful. I think sometimes we forget how beautiful and complicated and messy love is. And we get caught up in what we think movies tell us and what society tells us that love should be happy all the time and that we shouldn't grieve out loud, that we should put our best faces forward. And it's not like that. When you grieve someone, when you lose someone, that affects you the rest of your life. And people give you a couple of weeks, a month, maybe three months, and then they expect you to be over it. And it's just not how it works. A friend of mine was widowed about a year ago and a month or two into the year after her partner died, she actually had someone say to her, oh, I guess you're still sad. So grief, grief and saying goodbye to people is complex. And if you are grieving and if you have lost someone, be gentle with yourself. Know that grief is going to come back. It'll be like waves. For a while, it'll be like standing in the ocean, and a wave will just come and knock you down. You won't know which way is up. And the waves—they'll keep coming. You don't know when, and you—you don't know what they're going to feel like. But what happens is that your life will become bigger, and that you'll notice them less. It doesn't mean that you stop loving the people you lost. It just means you find a way to go on with your life. William H. Alden wrote a poem called The Funeral Blues and it is the one that I read at my brother's funeral. And I think it just really speaks well to loss and to what it is like to say a final farewell to someone you really love. Stop all the clocks, cut off the telephone. Bring the dog in from barking with a juicy bone silence the pianos with a muffled drum, bring out the coffin, let the mourners come. Let aeroplanes circle, moaning overhead, scribbling on the sky the message he is dead. Put crepe bows around the white necks of the public doves. Let the traffic policemen wear black cotton gloves. He was my north, my south, my east, my west, my morning week and my Sunday rest. My noon, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. The stars are not wanted now. Put out every one. Pack up the moon and dismantle the sun. Pour away the ocean. Sweep up the wood. For nothing now can come to any good. And one of the things I said after this is I do disagree with this in the line that says, I thought love would last forever, I was wrong. I think love does last forever. I think when we lose people, what survives is our love for them. And then the way that we carry on their memory and the way we treat the world and the way we treat ourselves. The friends I've lost would give anything to have had the birthdays I'm having. So when we talk about aging, I am profoundly grateful to have these birthdays. And again, if you are in, if you are in that place where you think your life doesn't matter, that no one would miss you, know that that is simply not true. Please just accept the fact that you are wrong. And if you need help, reach out, find someone, talk to someone. Call the National Suicide Prevention Line. It's 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. So love, loss, grieving, sadness, they all get mixed together. And we do ourselves a disservice when we think of love as only the happiness. Love is also the grief. Love is saying farewell. Love is the way that we look at ourselves. So go out today and maybe be a little more loving to yourself. And if you see someone who is hurting, reach out, connect to them. Let them know that you care. Let people know you care. And if you think that no one does, know that I do. I'm Ruth Day. I'm the recovery coach. Be gentle to yourselves today. Be kind to yourself and others Thank you so much for spending part of your time with me. We'll talk soon. Maybe you're in recovery. Maybe you're coming out of recovery. Maybe you're sober curious. Listen to this podcast. See what you think. If it resonates with you, hop on a call. Go to chatwithruth.com. Click the 30-minute clarity call and we can talk. I'm Ruth. I'm the recovery coach. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with me. We'll talk soon.